how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Nick Ham loves working with actors. With a background in theater, he's very familiar with proper blocking, on-set relationships, and the dynamics of storytelling. The British director is perhaps best known for the Robert De Niro film Godsend, his movie Killing Bono, and now the new film Driven. In his latest movie, audiences are invited to uncover the story of John DeLorean, his vehicle creations, and his unusual involvement with big business, narcotics, and the FBI. The thriller comes from screenwriter Colin Bateman and stars Jason Sudeikis, Corey Stoll, Judy Greer, and Lee Pace as DeLorean. In this interview, Ham discusses his transition from theater into film, the single most important thing he learned in the theater, what he looks for in a screenplay, how to play the top of the emotion, how to find thread in a complex narrative, and how the crew filmed in the aftermath of a hurricane in Puerto Rico. I did about 10 years in the theatre uh, in, in England uh, in my 20s and spent the time basically working at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, and so kind of learning a lot about actors and, um, and uh, how to stage and how to work with new writers. I spent a lot of time working with different writers. I worked a lot with Arthur Miller um, and writers like Howard Barker uh, in England. And so I had very intense training. And I'd always intended, while I was doing that work, I went to the film school and I'd always intended to make films. And I think it was a natural transition for me to start working uh, with actors and put them on celluloid. And so and after I went from the theater, I kind of just graduated uh, um, pretty much immediately into starting to make, uh, into my starting to make dramas. There are a lot of differences as far as logistics of directing, but what were some of the storytelling techniques you learned at an early age that you still carry with you today? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, the, the single most important thing you learn in a theater is how to stage a scene and how to work with an actor. Now, it, it, you know, you, 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 you better come with your A game if you're going to work with certain actors in this business and you've got to know what you're going to do. I love working with actors. I enjoy with the actors and actors respond to the way I work with them. And I put that down probably down to the fact that I spent so long in the theater understanding the way that actors think and the way actors talk and the way they work. And so when you approach a scene in the theater, you're automatically dramatizing the thing that the page, you're dramatizing what's on stage. You're sorry, you're dramatizing what's on the page. You're, you're blocking the actors. You're working with the actors. That's exactly the same in film. Except after that, you're then putting a film camera on it. So the single most important thing I learned was how to stage and dramatize a particular moment for an actor to be able to express themselves in the best way and for them to release the power of the scene. And that has never left me. 
that 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 technique I apply in every film I have ever done. You've worked with uh, Colin Bateman on your last two films. He's the screenwriter for The Journey and now Driven. What kind of stands out about his screenplays? What attracts you to his work, and what do you look for in a screenplay? In his work, what I enjoy about Colin is that we'll take these rather hefty, heavyweight subjects, and he has a lightness of touch and makes them quite humorous. And he has a, a view of the world which is almost, uh, to a, which is to a certain extent, quite oblique. So when we look at something like The Journey, which in so many respects is a very intense story about two political enemies who, who, um, who let, couldn't even be in the same room, let alone share, a, share the same car, uh, what Colin managed to do was to fill that with humor and to give it a kind of um, dexterity in the writing and a, and a swiftness in the writing that, that I personally enjoy. I like to surface the top of an emotion, play the top of an emotion, rather than actually play the emotion and rather than show the emotion. I think sometimes audiences are aware of the emotion and you don't need to hit them over the head with it. You don't need to ha whack them with a mallet. They are understand the tension of the situation. And if you can release that tension with, with, with laughter, then I think you're into a different game. And that's what Colin gives me as a writer. So in Driven, we took pretty much the same sort of difficult subject matter, um, you know, FBI informants, um, drug deals, showmen, and we kind of worked, we worked well together. So we created a, a piece which, to many respects, is also comedic as well as emotional. Um, and so that's how, that's how, that's what I enjoy about his, his, his plays and his, and his, and his screenplays. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on in this film. There, there's business, there's politics, there's narcotics, there's the, you know the DeLorean, the vehicles. Um, what kind of what is your thread to keep things moving forward and keep everything congruent versus getting kind of you know uh, a jumble or something with so many different things going on? How do you keep the thread going throughout the film? Well, that's that's a good question. One is through the character of Hoffman who's such a sleazebag and such an appalling person that you kind of, your mouth is open at how, how, uh, you know, how awful he can be uh, and how, how many lies he can tell. But, and so he takes you through the movie. He's the journey. He's the narrator. And he might be an unreliable narrator. In fact, he is, because half of the things he's, you're seeing the scenes, some of the scenes through his eyes and what you're seeing could, could be true or could not be true. What, however, became apparent as we started to, and I always knew this, was that it's a traditional buddy movie that in many respects it follows the same kind of structure and format as the traditional almost romantic comedy. It's, it's two, in this case, it's two men. Two men meet each other, don't you know, like each other, then fall out with each other, and then have a relation, you know, and then get together again. And in that sense, that's the structure of any kind of classic romantic comedy. You see the two protagonists, you know they're going to get together by the end of the movie, and you spend the whole movie giving them apart. In this movie, it's more kind of romantic comedy meets buddy movie. You see these two pretty dodgy characters, you know, both of them charlatans in their own right to a certain extent, both of them practice liars and showmen, both of them complete kind of, um, you know, scumbags in many respects. And, it's, and it's, there's a sort of affinity that happens with, with, with both of them. And that affinity becomes, the, becomes the, central, the central role of the movie. And that's what's interesting to me. Watching male relationships and the way males lie to each other and the way they t tell untruths and the way they then bond through endurance, through, through circumstance, is quite, it's quite, sometimes quite funny. And I thought, to a certain extent, that was the main, the main function of the piece. So you've talked a lot about uh, working with actors. You've got Jason Sudeikis and, and Corey Stahl and Lee Pace and 
a lot of people have seen all of them on, on great television shows and in movies. What's your casting process like uh, these days? How did you kind of come across these actors? How did you find them for the roles? I work, in, uh, I work very closely with the casting director, Sharon Bailey, on this. Um, and we start really with, we started with the two protagonists. We started with, obviously, with Hoffman. And then, and and with with um, with uh, um, with Delorean. Now, with Delorean, it's, it's tricky because Delorean, you know, a, a lot of people knew what he looked like. A lot of people kind of had an awareness of him. And I was very determined that I wasn't going to play him too old, even though he was an older character in the movie. I was aware that Lee had this wonderful. It was actually Sharon that introduced me to Lee, and then I started to look at his work, and I started, and then I met him, and we talked. And it seemed to me that what he had was a kind of effortless stardom. He had this old, old, almost old-fashioned 1950s Hollywood glamour about him. And that was what, to a certain extent, DeLorean had. DeLorean had an effortless... He was effortlessly cool. He was the guy in the corner of the room with the jumper, you know, with the cardigan over his shoulder, holding a martini and a cigar and a cigarette. He was the guy driving the sports car with the model. He was the guy practicing his tennis out in, out in the midday sun without sweating. That seemed to me... To be a lot of the attributes that Lee had and that and also as we started to practice with Lee and AG Lee up we we realized we didn't actually need that much in terms of makeup which is he could almost transform himself into an older actor so Lee's playing an actor you know good 15 uh, good 15 years older than himself so with Jason it was very different now Jason that character he is such an awful person. He's such a he's a, one of life's true scumbags. He's at you know a complete, from his early twenties. He was a liar and a cheat. He was a he was one of he was one of the the, the, the low life FBI informants that that formed the bedrock of that organization's information uh, information pools. And he's been doing that job, being then that kind of you know shadow world, if you like, of kind of two bit dealers and and hustling Las Vegas and hustling Southern California for years. So as a real person, he was quite horrible. Um, and in, in many respects, you kind of look at that character on the page and you think, okay, how do you make that character endearing? Well, the, one of the ways you make him endearing is to make it to cast somebody who's fundamentally a decent person who can play the liar and the cheat and who can play the, all of the uh, appalling nature, appalling kind of characteristics that that, 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 that that person had, but can play them with a wink and a smile. And of course, can you know have a have a love affair with his wife and be in love with his wife, and that that love affair with his wife is what makes him and what keeps him uh, is what keeps the character rooted. And in the end, it's kind of what keeps the character likable. Jason is a likable actor. You, it is impossible for Jason to play a nasty human being in many respects. He has a soul in him which is fundamentally decent. So in that sense, I didn't want to cast an actor who was dark. I didn't want to cast an actor who took the movie down. I needed an actor who had an ability and a dexterity to play comedy. And Jason uh, fitted that bill. So you mentioned uh, a few moments ago Colin Bateman's scripts as not beating you over the head. They're more subtle. Do you find more freedom to be subtle uh, in film more so than in the theater? Do you have more freedom to have those small, you know, facial expressions and things like that that are different from theater? I think they're just two completely different, you know, they're completely different uh, uh, in many respects. They're, they're obviously different, but they're obviously, you know, are, they have huge similarities. They, you know, in the end, there are actors stand on a stage and tell you a story and pretend that they are a different character and have an emotional truth. 
Um, and the same is true of film. Actors stand in front of a camera, play, pretend to be a character, uh, stand in an imaginary room and play an emotional truth. So the two are completely linked and bound. What you get in film, I have an ability to direct the audience in film in a way that I find much more satisfying than in theater. I have an ability to absolutely focus an audience's attention on the detail that I would like at that moment, rather than constantly the detail of the stage. Now, in some cases, that can be, that can be very useful as a director because you can, you can move the story and tell the story in a different way. But I don't really compare them. I don't compare and say one is better than the other. They are just different. They, are, uh, they have similarities, but they are different. Um, I find that I enjoy the process of working with actors in film, staging scenes, creating scenes, and then filming the scenes uh, more creatively satisfying for me as a director than, 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 than I did than, than, than the theatre. So you filmed this movie in Puerto Rico, I know, like, in and around the aftermath of a hurricane. Can you tell me a little bit of, about that? And then did that kind of reshape maybe your confidence uh, going forward? And, then, you know, if you can film under these circumstances, you can likely film in any circumstances. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what, what happened and maybe your, you know, fresh perspective going forward? Well, as you said, uh, you know, we had started to shoot the movie um, and we were kind of, you know, a week or two into filming, and then we had to abandon production because uh, Hurricane Maria uh, was about to hit the island. So we were all evacuated. Uh, the actors and the producers and, and uh, several members of the crew were taken away to New York where we had to sit out the storm. Now, the storm devastated the island and created massive infrastructure problems. Um, so obviously we had a big decision to make how we were going to even go back. And, and if we did go back, what would we be doing there? Would we be taking resources away from the island? Would we be, would we be in a further burden on the island? How do you make a, a Hollywood movie, a glamorous, you know, colorful, you know, period piece set in the late 70s when effectively you've got uh, uh, destruction uh, all, all around you? There really, in the end, there wasn't a case of like, how do we, you know, should we go back? We, we our crew, our local crew and our local producers in Puerto Rico were determined that we should come back. And we also realized that actually, you know, we had three or 400 people on a paycheck. And if we moved out of that island at that moment, then those people wouldn't have that paycheck. And furthermore, no films would come for the rest of that year. So if I didn't, if we hadn't returned, the film industry in Puerto Rico would have ground to a halt for a while. And, uh, and those people that we were employing would have actually been poorer as a result. So there was kind of a no-brainer for all of us. It was difficult. It was strenuous. It was we were. I can say that we, you know, we're not naturally brave people as as people as, as actors and directors. But we we kind of went back and we had to re we had to relook at several locations. We had to reorganize ourselves and we had to and there was a kind of great leveling out of the process because certain luxuries weren't available to people. You know, you just. Um, you know, there was no street lighting, there was no water, there was very little power, and uh, we all had to stay in the same hotel and, and muddle through and, and get on with it. And it's a testament to the people there and also to the movie that we made that that, that success was, um, that, that, that the movie was such an excess success and went to Venice Film Festival, and that made them very proud, and I was very proud to finish it there with them. Thank you for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening, Please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. 
Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.